Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We are continuing in our series in the parables, and uh, today we're going to surface a word or a concept that is very familiar to just about every one of us, and it's the concept of forgiveness. Now, when you hear that word, you probably like, okay, yeah, I know what that's all about. And that's exactly where I want to be. Oh, yeah, I know what that's all about. Do we? Do, I mean, this is a, a familiar word, a familiar concept to us, but does it become so familiar that we kind of forget what it's all about? Like, you might be able to, you know, come up with a good definition or, you know, if someone were to ask you, like, oh, what's forgiveness all about? Oh, here it is. But if you were to step back from that for just a moment, would, would you say, like, well, wait a minute, what is this forgiveness thing really all about? Like, I can define it, maybe come up with a good definition, but, like, do we really get it? We're going to look at a parable that's going to challenge that, that's going to push into that for us and, and help us to really see, like, hmm, do I really get this idea? So, again, we're in this series. We're exploring these teachings of Jesus where he uses stories, images, analogies, illustrations that, we're, that we would be familiar with as, as the original hearers. And we're like, oh, yeah, okay, I know what you mean, but wait a minute, do I really know what you mean? Well, a farmer sows a seed, okay, yeah, farmers, I know what that's about. But then Jesus is like telling us something that's like, wait a minute, what is he talking about? That is exactly what parables are supposed to do. They challenge us. They invite us to dig in a little bit deeper. They help us see that maybe we don't see everything. And that's why Jesus uses these these things, these these stories, these parables, because he wants to invite us to go deeper with him. And so we've been exploring some of these different parables to just understand what is it that Jesus wants to say to us today. So today we're going to look at at an episode, a story, in which Jesus does offer a brief little parable, and it addresses the concept of forgiveness. And it is going to surface for for us this question, do we really get it? Really? Do we understand what this whole forgiveness thing is really all about? So let's dive into the scriptures. I invite you, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 36 through 50. If you don't have a Bible, there'll be the words on the screen. But if you do, and you're kind of flipping there, Matthew, Mark, Luke is the the third book in the New Testament, this back third here. We want to be looking at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And so what I want to do is I want to take it into a couple of chunks. And so we'll read the first few verses, 36 through 39, and then we'll go back through and kind of highlight a few key ideas. So beginning at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw, him, saw her do this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, 
that she is a sinner. So we'll pause there. So we've got this story, this interaction, Jesus and, and a Pharisee and a woman, and, and it's all taking place. And, and so wh- what I want to do is I want to kind of run back through and just set the scene just a little bit more so we can kind of feel what this is, what's happening here, what's taking place. So back at verse 36, we're introduced to a Pharisee inviting Jesus to come have dinner. Now, as I was studying for this, like um, one of the things that just kind of hit me afresh is a lot of times we think of the Pharisees as the villains, right? They're the bad guys. They're the ones that are always, you know, in conflict with Jesus. But here we see that a Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner. Remember that actually the Pharisees were often viewed very positively. They were the equivalent of the pastors of the day. People looked up to them, were well-respected. Like they are like, yeah, I, I trust the Pharisees. And so the fact that a Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner is actually an honoring kind of thing. And Jesus returns the honor. He doesn't say, oh, no, you're a Pharisee. We don't get along, so I'm not coming to dinner. Like, no, Jesus goes. And this is just a reminder that sometimes we we think of the Pharisees like, oh, they're the bad guys. We're not like them. But in actuality, the Pharisees, they, they were the good guys in many ways. And that's part of the work that the Gospels are doing. They're, they're kind of turning things on its head to say, like, hey, the Pharisees, they're the good guys, but they sometimes miss it. So I encourage you just to remember that as we're diving into this story, the Pharisees were, were a good example of how to follow the Lord. And Jesus is, is honoring that by the invitation uh, reception. Like, he's, he's going to go and he's going to have dinner. So we've got this Pharisee who invites Jesus to dinner. Then what do we see happen? There's this woman who shows up. Now, she's described as someone in town, seems like she's well-known, who lived a sinful life. This person, like, comes with history, comes with baggage, like, not operating the way they're supposed to, apparently. So she, she learns that Jesus is eating at this Pharisee's house. And what does she do? She comes, uninvited, and brings this jar of alabaster And it's got perfume in it. Now, the thing I think you just need to know about this piece is that this was just likely very expensive. Whatever it is, whatever's inside of this, it's it's perfume, okay, but it's likely very expensive. Maybe it's an heirloom. Maybe it's something she's had to work hard to, to purchase. Whatever it is, she brings this thing, and it's likely something that costs a lot of money. It's very valuable. But she comes in uninvited, and, and, and comes into this, this party, this dinner party, and what is she going to do? Well, verse 38. We get to see that she shows up, and she comes to Jesus, and she's weeping. She's weeping. We're not told why. We know that she's got a sinful past, and here she is weeping, so you kind of sense like maybe Luke's trying to connect those dots. But here she is weeping, and what does she do? She's crying over Jesus' feet. Now, earlier, it describes how he's reclined at the table. What they did is they didn't sit in chairs like we did. They, they were kind of lying on their side. So they'd kind of lean on one elbow, and they'd have access to food right here, and they'd just kind of you know, eat along the table like that. So their feet are sticking out. And so this woman has access to all of their feet, but she comes, and what does she do? She's crying over Jesus' feet. And she's letting her tears fall on his feet. And what does she do? She's wiping them with her hair. Now, at that time, 
women especially, were supposed to keep their heads covered, to keep their hair back. Like they were not supposed to expose their hair. It was very socially unacceptable. You just weren't supposed to do that. Even to the extent that sometimes like a husband would divorce a wife for that. And that's a very extreme example. But like that's, the, that's kind of what's at stake. You just don't do this. And here she is, violating social convention, but using her hair to wipe his feet. And she's wiping his feet. And then she kisses his feet. Feet are kind of gross, right? Like, you, you, you know, just like, oh, okay. That's but back then, again, they didn't have closed-toed shoes. They're walking on dusty roads. Their feet were very gross. Like, this was, ugh. and And people would, anytime they'd walk into a house, like, you'd clean your feet off and th- that kind of thing. Like, and if you had a, you know, if you're a wealthier person, you had a servant, like, that was a job that they would do. But here she is. These gross, grimy feet. She's crying of them, wiping them with her hair, and she's kissing them. Like, what, is, what would lead her to do something like this, right? Like, what is it that she would go to this level where it's like, okay, I'm going to get gross. I'm going to get down here. And then I'm going to take my jar of perfume. I'm going to pour it on his feet. What would lead somebody to do this? Hold that thought. See, we're not told why all this is happening. Luke doesn't give us the backstory, if you would. But here she is. She shows up. She heard about Jesus. She knows something about him. And she shows up to find him. And she's doing all this to him. Well, now, come back, verse 39, to the Pharisee. See, the Pharisee's watching all this. Not only is it like, whoa, what's this thing that's happening? Now the Pharisee's, his commentary. And it is, the, the text says that he's thinking to himself. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would know who she is, what she's all about. He would know that she's a sinful woman. Notice that his response to what's taking place, this kind of crazy event, his response is what? To go after Jesus' identity. If he were a prophet. Truly, if he were a prophet, he would know by either supernatural revelation who she is or just be aware enough of who this kind of person is. But even more than that, He would know who she is, and he would not associate with her. If he were truly a prophet, he would know what's okay and not okay, what's right and wrong here. Do you see where this is coming from, from the Pharisee? He's attacking Jesus' identity, and then he's attacking hers. She's a sinner. We don't associate with those kinds of people. Do you feel the tension? Like being in the room, imagining this is all taking place. Can you picture it? And, and if you were to know what this guy's thinking, like, oh boy, what's happening here? Like here is this kind of tension, like, ooh, what's going to happen? How is Jesus going to respond? I mean, this Pharisee is thinking this, this woman is doing this thing, and, and here's Jesus in the middle. And what is he going to do? Is he going to respond the way the Pharisees is asking or thinking he should? Or is he going to do something else? What is Jesus going to do in this moment? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon. Ah, there's his name. Simon the Pharisee. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. 
Okay, now we're going into a story, right? One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, real quick here on, on this moment. So he's offering this picture of a moneylender and two people who owe debts. There's 50 and 500 denarii. Now, a denarii is a day's wage. So like maybe some helpful kind of connections for us. Think $5,000 and $500,000. Like that's the, the scope in which we're talking here. You know, this first person, 50, a 5,000 kind of dollar sort of level, and then 500,000. Both of them owe money. Verse 42. Neither one of them could pay. So he forgave the debts of both. Neither one had the money. Neither one can come through. And so what does the money lender do? He forgives the debts. He says, you are free from this debt. No more obligation. You're released. Your debt is forgiven. So here's Jesus' question. Now, which one of them will love him more? Notice what Jesus says here. Which one will love him more? He could have said, which one will be more grateful? Which one will be thankful? But he doesn't say that. There's a good Greek word for that, but he doesn't use that. He uses the word for love, agape. Interesting word choice. Why does he say love? Not just like, oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. No, no, no. Love him more. That's interesting, his word choice here. Jesus is intentional about this. He wants to point to a greater reality than simply what you see in this transaction. So which one will love him more? Here's Simon's reply. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I mean, notice how he says it. Like, I suppose. I'm kind of like, I'll go with you here for the sake of argument. I suppose it's the one who had the bigger. Like, you almost kind of feel that withdrawnness, this pulled backness from Simon. Like, uh, I suppose. Jesus. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, he's looking at the woman, but he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Jesus is looking right at her. But he's talking to Simon, do you see her like I do right now? And the implication is that he doesn't. Do you see this woman? And here, here comes a contrast. I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. But she, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. See, now Jesus is surfacing the contrast between these two, between Simon and the woman. It's like, hey, Simon, I'm your, your guest. You didn't offer me any water. Now, just so you know, like, that wasn't expected or required per se. Like, it's not like you had to do that. But it was a kind gesture. It was hospitable. It was good to do. And you would see that take place. It's not required. Simon wasn't expected. But it was a good thing to do. Simon, you didn't do that for me. But look, she is. She's showing me hospitality. She is showing me kindness. She is going even to the furthest extent of this. Contrast. Let's keep reading. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Continuing the contrast, she has gone to this furthest extent. 
Simon, you haven't. And where does this come from? I think this contrast that we're beginning to see is all oriented to their response to Jesus. What is their view of Jesus? Are are they interacting with him as like, okay, yeah, like, I want to show you hospitality or not. Like, what, what we see here is that the woman and Simon are treating Jesus differently. Here is the contrast. How are they each responding to who Jesus is? Because I think that's the implicit question. Like, okay, who is this? Who, who is this person that's lying here next to me? Who is this person that, that I see around this table? And how will they respond? The woman responds with incredible kindness. Not so much with Simon. Why is that? Like, where does this come from? Like, why does Simon operate the way that he does? But this woman, man, she, she does this incredible act of, of kindness. It comes to this. She knew how much she had been forgiven. She knew what she had done and the forgiveness that she had received. Where am I getting that? We'll get to that in a second. Like, she, she was aware of, of her life. And now, she's responding accordingly. So, like, she knew how much she had been forgiven. Do you? We're back to this question. This woman, she's responding to Jesus in a particular way. I think because she knew how much she's forgiven. Do you? Do we really understand or do we really get forgiveness? Now, you might say, like, yeah, I I do. I I know the answer. Like, Jesus died for me, and and, and you can say the right answer. I've grown up in church. I'm very familiar with this concept. I wonder if some of you are in the same boat. Like, man, I've been in church. I've heard this all of my life. When I think about this, I mean, I know, I know this concept. I, I've, I've grown up in church. I've been to Bible studies. I've, I've gone to seminary. Like, I, I'm trained as a pastor. Like, I, I know this concept. When I respond to, like, do I know how much I've been forgiven? Do I understand forgiveness? Do I run to my Bible study experience, my training, the teachings that I've heard? Or do I run to the last time that I hurt somebody? realize the wrong that I've done and see my need for forgiveness? Is it one of those things where I get it, I understand it, I, know, I can give you the definition, or do I really know what it means? Sometimes we know the right answer. Sometimes we can spout off the definition, but do we really know it? Do we really get it? Some of you in this room, you're like, I get it. You were so quick of like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And immediately you had that shame, that guilt. You know your need for forgiveness. You don't have to have me tell you what this is all about. You know it. You feel it. You experience it. And some of you, you you're like, man, I, I'm not so sure. In each one of these instances, 
whether you, you, you know the right answer but maybe miss it, whether you, you feel your immense need or maybe you're kind of like, ah, oh, I think I've got it all together here. Like, what's this all about? Jesus steps in. And especially for those of you who have that shame, that feeling of guilt, what does Jesus do with the woman? Do you see this woman? He's looking right at her. He sees you. He knows you. He sees your brokenness. He sees the sin in your life, the wrongdoing, the things that you have committed against another person and against God. He sees all of that. And he says, I have a different word for you. No longer shame. No longer guilt. Forgiveness. If you know your need and you feel it, Jesus meets you in that moment. And for those of us who are like, man, I, I kind of lean into my Bible study experience like I know the right answer. Jesus says, all right, I'm glad you know the right answer. Let me help you know what it means. I see where you are and let me show you. This is the way that Jesus is with us. He sees us right where we are. And what does he offer in this moment, this need of forgiveness? What is it that he gives us? He gives exactly what we need. He gives us love. Let's keep reading in verses 47 and following. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So pause on that for a second. So what we see, Jesus, he's like, her sins have been forgiven. For those of you who are more theologically minded, you might be like, okay, wait a minute. How is this all working? Notice what Jesus says. Her sins have been forgiven. The tense there in the Greek is the perfect. It means a past completed action with ongoing state of being or consequence. So something happened in the past. It's all done. Now it is a new reality. That is the language he's using about forgiveness for her. And then he says, what you see taking place, this love that she's showing me is evidence of that. So she is not earning anything from Jesus. She's not coming and saying, oh, let me wash your feet. Okay, now I'll forgive you. That is not the way that Jesus operates. She has already been forgiven. What we see her doing is a response. She's responding out of love, out of that forgiveness. This is what we see taking place. And her love is great. She is the person with the greater debt in the parable. But then notice Jesus shifts. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Simon, you don't see your need. You think you've got it all together. You think you've got everything where you need to be, and so you don't feel that compulsion to show me hospitality, to show me kindness. She does. She's been forgiven much. She is loving much. You've been forgiven little. You're loving little. Notice what this does. So then Jesus says, in verse 48, then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. I see you. Here is what you need. You need the proclamation of good news. Your sins are forgiven. This is true of you. Your sins are forgiven. But then what happens? The other guests began to say among themselves, 
Who is this that even forgives sins? Exactly. Who is this? Who is this one that can forgive sins? Like, he's proclaiming this over her. Like, why can he do that? What is it that she gets that the rest of the guests don't? See, Jesus shows up in a mess, in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin, all the things that we do wrong. He shows up in that moment and says, I am going to forgive you. I'm going to pay your debt. The money that you owe. However much it is, 5000 or 500000 I'm going to pay it. I'm going to do that with my life. I'm going to go to that cross. I'm going to give my life for you. You are now released. Your debt is paid. It's over. You're now square. Jesus knew what he came to do. And so he can look at this woman and say, your sins are forgiven. Because I paid for them. She realizes that. And so the next thing that he can say is to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is your new reality. He sees her. He knows her brokenness. And he offers her forgiveness. You are now at peace. This is what forgiveness can do. It can change reality. It can change our state of being. It can, it can move us to a new category. This is what, what forgiveness can do for us. And so for those of you who are like, yep, I know my brokenness, this is what Jesus says to you. This is what he offers to you. No more does your debt say anything about you. It's paid It's over. Be free of guilt. Be free of shame. Walk with me. For those of us who think we know, and we've got it all figured out, oh, I know what this is all about. I've been to Bible study. I've heard sermons on this before. Like, I know what forgiveness is. Caution against that. Don't be like Simon, who's like, oh, I, I know how to do this. Like, I'm good. I've got it all under control. Don't miss the gravity Don't miss the gravity of what Jesus is doing here, what he's offering. Don't look at it and say like, oh, okay. I don't need this. I'm I'm fine. I, I, I can keep the course. No, no, no. Simon, don't miss it. You may know what forgiveness is all about, but do you know it? You can see it in their responses. The person who has been forgiven much loves much. The one who forgives little Loves little. How's your love meter? How much are you loving out of that forgiveness? That is what Jesus wants to point to. Knowing you're forgiven leads to love. Knowing you're forgiven leads to love. When we receive forgiveness, when we hear it, we know that we are loved and it translates out. Let me give you two verses just to capture this one more time in a succinct kind of way. So John, the gospel writer, also wrote some letters. And in 1 John, he writes these words, and it's just one verse, but it's so beautiful. This is love. Not that we love God, not that we earned it, not that we did anything to warrant it, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He first loved us. It came from him. 
And what did it look like? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus laid his life down for us. He paid our debt. This is love. But then Jesus fills this out. It doesn't just stay there. So back in the gospel of John, he's with his disciples before he's about to go to the cross. And he's offering us these beautiful words in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. I have forgiven you. I am paying your debt. I'm loving you like this. Love one another like that too. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It will mark us. It will change us. People will see and it's like, you're different. Why? Forgiveness. That's what he's pointing to. So knowing we're forgiven leads to love. What does it actually look like to grow in this? Here's some, some thoughts on, on how we can take hold of what this reality points to. Like, how do we actually live this out? So there's some kind of sequency things that I want to give you. So kind of order of sequence. So number one, here's the first thing I want to say to you. Answer this question, who is Jesus to you? He's Savior and forgiver. Now, maybe you've never actually answered this question before. You're kind of like, yeah, who, who is Jesus to me? Who, who is Jesus? Like, I want to understand that. That is the starting place. You've got to answer, answer this question. You've got to wrestle with it. Just like the guests at the, at the dinner table are like, who is this guy that he can forgive sins? He's the Lord. He's God in the flesh. And he's Savior who died for us. And he forgives you. This is who he is. So if you've never heard that before, if you haven't really had that click, now, now is the moment to respond. Respond to that. Say, okay, yeah, I want to go with you. That is, that is, once you answer that question, that is the response. But for many of us, we've done that before. We know the answer. Like, oh, he's Savior and forgiver. This is not a, a one and done kind of thing. You don't answer this question once. You continually learn and progress in your relationship with Jesus. So my wife and I, we've been married for almost 15 years now. We know each other pretty well. Do you think I learned everything in like the first couple of years of dating? Like, okay, now I know or we can be done with that. No, right? And, and hint, that's not the way to do it, okay? So <laughs> you keep learning about your spouse, right? I'm, and we've learned more about each other in the last handful of years than we did in the first handful. It is a continual process of learning getting to know one another, it doesn't stop. The same is true for Jesus. We don't have him all figured out. It's like, okay, now I'm done. Like, no, we spend time with him. We learn more and more about him as we go. And we don't ever stop. There's no end date. Like, we're going to continue to learn about him. So keep getting to know him. Keep getting to know him as forgiver because this is who he is. So that's the first part of the sequence. The next part is this. We want to get to know our sin and our brokenness. When we start to get to know Jesus, we're going to start to see like, hmm, he's kind of different than me. He's a little bit better at this. And, oh, he's more kind. And, and you start to now see Jesus as a mirror where you see there's alignment and consistency and you see that there's misalignment. 
and you see like, oh, I'm not like Jesus. That is a moment where you see your sin, your brokenness. And maybe you're one of those people who's like, I don't need to be reminded about my brokenness. Right here is where Jesus meets you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to show you where these, these pieces in your life are. And when it, he wants to help walk with you through it. But we got to know it first. We can't live in, in this idealized version of like, oh, okay, I've got it all figured out and I'm just kind of comfortable and I don't, don't want to talk about that stuff. We got to open that up. So I encourage you, take an inventory of your life. Begin to look and see where is their misalignment? Where is there things that I do that just aren't right? Where do I hurt people? Where am I sinning? Am I doing wrong? Take an inventory, pay attention, and let Jesus be the mirror that helps you see. you got to read the scriptures. Read how he is, like how he operates. That is how we can see more clearly. So take an inventory. Get to know your sin and your brokenness. The third part of the sequence, then, is this. Continually receive his love and forgiveness. As you get to know him as forgiver, you're going to begin to see further and further, like, oh, man, I have a longer way to go than I thought. You're going to see your sin and brokenness. And we need to continually hear his, his gospel of love and forgiveness. You need to be planting that in your heart and in your mind consistently. It's not like, oh, I've been forgiven, done. Like, No, you need to hear it fresh, regularly, daily, weekly. Hear the message that I forgive you. That's the message that he gives you. He says that over and over again. He says it about this little thing and this little thing and this little thing. He says it's about this big thing that you keep coming back to. Your debt is paid. I release you from that. You need to hear that regularly. Sometimes we can do that when we're reading the scriptures and, and something hits us. Like we can do that on our own. But sometimes we need other people. That's why it's really good to have a small group. To be in community with other people. To allow them to speak into your life in a meaningful kind of way. And so I, I challenge you, be vulnerable. If you're in a small group, share with them. Here's where I'm struggling. And let them speak gospel good news into your life. This is what Jesus says about you. This is who he is. He forgives you. You need to hear that over and over again. Now, for some of you, like, you maybe have some of that brokenness that's just like, man, is that, like, I don't know how to deal with this. It's so much bigger than me. It's, it's systemic and, and deep-rooted. We actually, we have a Celebrate Recovery that ministry is, is specialized and in its focus to help people overcome their deep brokenness, their habits, their, their, their sin patterns, their, the things that are just not right and we don't know how to fix. We can't fix it. We need Jesus to step in. And Celebrate Recovery is a great environment to do that. They meet on Tuesday nights. That could be the place for you where you hear gospel good news. We need to receive again and again his love and forgiveness. The fourth thing and the final thing. It doesn't just stay with us. We are to give this love and forgiveness to other people. Notice, how was Simon interacting with this woman? He didn't talk to her, but it's like, oh, she's a sinner. We don't associate with her. Right there, 
his lack of love, lack of forgiveness, led him to treat her poorly. Jesus comes in and says, that is not the way you treat people. You see them. That's what he does. He sees you. He sees people. He wants you to do the same. So, will you let love and forgiveness change the way you view other people? Especially the people that drive you crazy. Those like, who frustrate you, get, get, just get on your nerves. Like, there, right there, that's a person you can show love and forgiveness to, right? It's not to stay with us. We're to turn it outward and to share it, to be forgiving and loving to one another. They'll know we are Christians by our love. So this is the sequence. And I just say it's not step by step, but it's a sequence. And something we kind of have to go back through over and over at different parts because it's fluid and dynamic. We are not there. We don't arrive at, I've got the forgiveness thing figured out. So the answer to our question, do we really get forgiveness? In some ways, we never do. But those who have been forgiven, who have known it and received it, we share it. We, we offer it. We turn it outward and we love. Knowing you're forgiven leads to love. Imagine if the world sees us, church, and they see that we're forgiving, we're loving, we extend this out. They're going to notice because it's so weird and unique. Nobody does this. Christ followers do. When we do this, they will notice and we'll draw them in. It will invite them in. They're going to want to know what this whole thing is all about. Knowing we're forgiven leads to love. 